Let's turn to Mark 2. We're in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to see how much we can cover in Mark 2 tonight. Maybe we can cover the whole thing. We got delayed a long time in Matthew because of the parables. We just wanted to preach on the parables. They're so rich and full. But let's read a good portion here of chapter 2 in Mark, at least over to uh, verse 17. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Isn't that interesting? Wouldn't you have loved to have heard him preach? And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this, why doth this man thus speak blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he saith unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whither is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee? Or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's bow our heads. Father, we love the Gospels. We love the Gospel stories, the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. We notice that he's always badgered by Pharisees, scribes, hypocrites, those that were religious, 
We thank you for the reading tonight, the miracles that our Lord performed, healing, teaching. Lord, we ask you to teach our hearts tonight. Heal us from sin. Teach us the knowledge of God. Teach us the knowledge of salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let every one of us learn beginning with our speaker. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. You can get so involved in reading that you just don't want to quit. Mark condenses the stories a lot. He gets right to the heart of whatever our Lord is doing. And I notice that the language that's used here in our King James Bible, which is the only one we use, the only one we recommend, in fact, the only one we have anything to do with, has some words that in our modern day and time, these words have taken a different meaning. So as we come to them, we'll just let you know that what they mean here. It isn't that difficult. And again, as he entered into Capernaum after some days, it was noised that he was in the house. It was not, it was like rumored, it was spread abroad, it was talked about, it was the talk of the community. The Lord Jesus Christ was there in that house. And straightway many were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. The door, even the doorway was jammed. There was no place for anybody to even get in. The doorway was filled, the room was filled, and there were people outside the doorway crowding around, standing on their tiptoes. You just couldn't get in. That's what that means. And he preached the word unto them. Now, what word did he have to preach? Well, he had the Old Testament. That was the word that was in existence to that time. And our Lord Jesus Christ made it real. He showed himself from the Old Testament scriptures. How simple it is, us with the New Testament, with the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know what happened. We know how he bled and died, how he rose again, is back at the right hand of the majesty on high, making intercession. We know those things. They didn't know that, but they could hear him preach. See, and if God didn't give them faith to believe what he said, they're just as, as, as far off as anybody today who does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're coming to a story about a man who's sick of a disease called the palsy. I'm sure it was something that had to do with the body quivering and shaking and weakness of the whole body insomuch that they can't even walk. And he's carried by four men on a stretcher. Okay, each one has a corner. They're able to carry him. And they have heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had these four guys doing the carrying have faith that Christ can do something for this guy. Okay, now let's read the story. Verse 3, And they come to him, 
bringing one sick of the palsy which was born for, carried by four men, what that means. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, no, not for the photographers and, and newspaper men. The press here is the group of people. There's so many that they call it a press. They were pressing around the door. What they do? They uncovered the roof. They went up onto the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, can you imagine destroying a person's roof? They let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Now, they must have had some rope. They couldn't leave it down, just drop it. They had to lower it down carefully. See, in verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith, not the guy on the bed, not the sick one, their faith, the ones who had borne the man, brought him to them, to him. He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, that is a wonderful moment in life. When your sins are forgiven... I have told you of a time in my life when I was baptized, sprinkled at the front door of a church. It was a private baptism. He just, anybody want to be baptized, I guess that pastor and a preacher with the long black robe and white collar would sprinkle you, you know, and tell you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, sprinkle you three times and you were baptized, and, I, and the feeling came to me, my sins are forgiven for this day. How wonderful to feel free, to feel clean, to feel sin-free. If I could just do this every day. Well, our Lord told this man, son, thy sins be forgiven. Really? Now, baptism don't do a thing. My sins were no more forgiven then as far as my baptism was concerned, than they ever were. I didn't know at the time that the Lord Jesus Christ had died for me and had forgiven my sins. But that was just a little incident in life where the normal human feeling of the natural heart thinks, gosh, it'd be nice to have your sins forgiven. Now verse 6, see, this is the beginning of our Lord's ministry. Even though there was Terrific crowd of people, so much so they can't get... There's always those that slip in who are there to try to trick our Lord, spy upon him, get something on him. Here they are again, verse 6, but there were certain of the scribes sitting there, so they were inside, had a good view, and reasoning in their heart. Why does this... Does this man thus speak blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God only? Now here was a wonderful opportunity for them to be saved, to have their sins forgiven. Of course, in their position and in their, their spiritual condition, they didn't need any forgiving. As far as they were concerned, they were perfectly okay. They were members of the religious element, the Jewish religion, the finest religion in the world, the only one that's ever had God for its author. 
They never think of being lost or needing forgiveness. And immediately, verse 8, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Can you imagine? Our Lord can read the mind. Always could. He knows ours. In fact, when you go back to Isaiah, or rather uh, Psalm 139, is it, where David is expressing he knows our thoughts afar off, knows when we sit down, when we get up. Our Lord Jesus Christ knew their minds, knew their thinking. He didn't just know their thinking then. He knew their thinking from back in eternity. Our Lord never learns anything new. He knows everything. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? That must have got them. Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee? Or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? Well, that's a great question, isn't it? Which is the better? Which will show you better the act of God? Now, you say God can only forgive sin. Who can make a person get up off of a sickbed and walk? Can man do that? No. They got a reason in their mind. No, there's no way any man can do that either. Boy, they're, in a, they're at a crossroads here. They have an opportunity to acknowledge him as God. Ah, oh, but they don't. Verse 10, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way, and into thine house. So this man has his sins forgiven. And the proof of his sins being forgiven is the fact that he can rise up and walk. Boy, is that great, huh? Well, most people there loved it. They never saw anything like it. Verse 12, And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Well, if that room was crowded, and the doorway was crowded, that nobody could get in. Boy, they made way for this fellow. He picks up his bed that they lowered him down on, this, this uh, thing that they carried him in on, a stretcher. Picked it up, put it under his arm, said, Excuse me. Excuse me, I'm going home. Look out, make way for me. And they pushed and they grunted and they made way through the door, out through the mob. And he walks home. Verse 12, And immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed. And glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. 
but they still did not acknowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ was God. Miracles do not save an individual. Miracles do not awaken an individual. Got it? You see the evidence of it here all the time. It doesn't say anything about anybody falling down at his feet and worshiping him. It just says that they were amazed. And they glorified God, but they didn't glorify him. And he is God. Well, verse 13. He went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him. They just followed him. He had great crowds following him. I wonder what the Roman government thought about that. You know, whenever you see a crowd or a mob, you call it one thing, you call it the other, you always figure trouble. Always trouble when there's a mob of people. Verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. And said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Who's Levi? That's Matthew. His name would be Matthew. Okay. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many and they followed him. Many what? Many disciples. You see, oftentimes you mistake the word disciples for the twelve apostles. No, that's not the case. Disciples were followers. One time our Lord sent out 70 disciples to teach and to preach and to cast out demons. See, that's not the apostles. Says, and there were many, and they followed him. Well, here's Levi, or Matthew, the newcomer, and, and he invites the Lord to his house. Now, let's see where that is. That's Luke 4, verse 27. Let's turn over to Luke 4. Luke 4, and verse 27. Uh, must be Luke 5. It's, it's Luke 5. Luke 5.27. All right, it says, And after these things he went forth and saw a publican, named Levi, sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. 
And you see why I say it's at his house? Because that's where it was. And he made a great feast. Publicans were middle-class people at the time. They made a lot of money, crookedly, taking in taxes. It seems like wherever taxes are involved, there's crooked people involved, no matter where or when. They get their money, their hands on the money, and it has a way of cankering, I guess. All right, so we can go back now. Back to Mark 2. Now, another thing I want to show you is that uh, these disciples were not the apostles. Because if you will turn the page to Mark 3, 14, you will see where he ordains the twelve apostles. It says, And he ordained twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and cast out devils. And then it gives the names of the ones he ordained. And in verse 18, it doesn't say Levi. It says, And Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew. There's where Levi comes in. And it seems like Matthew may have had a brother named James because he is also the son of Alphaeus. There's a lot of intriguing things within these disciples. There's brothers and family members, several sets of brothers. Well, let's look at verse 16. And when the scribes and Pharisees, here they are again, no matter where or what our Lord Jesus Christ did, there they were hounding him. When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners when we don't have anything to do with them? We can't stand publicans. They're traitors to our country. And sinners, oh, we don't sin. We love to pray. That's just not our type of people. But he's eating and drinking with publicans and sinners. Verse 17, When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, that's a great verse. It makes sense when a person feels healthy, when a person is healthy, when there's no headaches and no backaches and no any kind of aches anywhere and no sore throat, eyes are good, everything's working, functioning properly. You don't go to a doctor. Of course, doctors tell you, come in, get your yearly checkup. 
But you don't go to a doctor unless you're sick. And that really makes good sense. And that's what the Lord was telling them straight out. They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. And then he emphasizes it a little bit more by saying, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So our Lord Jesus Christ is saying that he had a calling to do. When he was here, he called out the sinners. Now that he has gone back to heaven, the Holy Spirit calls out sinners. And he calls them, first of all, to repentance. What about the sinner's sickness? Does everyone the Lord Jesus Christ call have to have the palsy or have to have a hump on their back or be sick of some contagious disease? Is that the kind he's talking about? No. We're talking a spiritual language. We're talking about soul sick, the sinner's sickness. Turn to Revelation 3.17. Our Lord describes the sinner's sickness. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. See, that shows you in the physical sense, they're very healthy. They're healthy and wealthy. And as far as they're concerned, they don't need anybody's help. Then our Lord says, And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. But they don't know it. That's the greatest failure of the human heart is not to know their sickness. If only they could realize their sickness. If they only knew their real state before God, their spiritual state, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. When that's read in comparison to being rich, increased with goods and have need of nothing, it sounds like they're pathetic. That they're limping around in rags and they're... No, it's telling you it's spiritual. These same people who are well-dressed with plenty of currency in their wallet and driving a nice car and going to a fine church, they are this in reality, but don't know it. If they did, if they only knew it, then the Lord Jesus Christ came to preach the gospel to them. Look at Luke 4.18. Luke 4.18. In the 
beginning of our Lord's ministry, they handed him a book, the book of Isaiah. He turned to the portion that reads like this from Isaiah 61.1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised. That God's people. That's a blessed description of the character of God's people. Those are the ones Christ came to preach to, that he came to save. He said, I came to save the lost, not the righteous. Well, if you can't find yourself in one of those categories, then the Lord Jesus Christ did not die for you. And if perchance you find yourself in one of those categories, you will, by God's grace, find yourself in every single one of them. You'll be poor in spirit. You'll be brokenhearted because of your sin. You will know that you're a captive of Satan. You'll know that you've been blind to spiritual things. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can set you free. He said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The Old Testament had a description of the sinner's sickness. If you want to turn to Isaiah 1, look at verses 5 and 6. Isaiah 1, 5 and 6. Why should ye be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even under the head there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. That's a description of the natural, normal human person. It's called the natural man in 1 Corinthians 2.14 who to spiritual things thinks they're foolishness. Now, our Lord says, I came not to call the righteous. And that had me fooled for so many years before the Lord saved me before I had any spiritual intelligence, any spiritual knowledge, I took that word to mean that there were people that didn't have to repent because they were so good. Now, there's an awful lot of people in the world that believe just exactly like that, that they're so good that they don't have to repent. And so they're in a category all by themselves. The Lord didn't have to come to call them. He only calls 
sinners to repentance, not to good, righteous people. And let me tell you, the churches are full of righteous people who have never, ever been called to repentance. We preached this morning on repentance to show you that it's a gift of God, a lifelong companion along with faith. You'll repent and you'll believe every day of your life. It's one of the most wonderful gifts. And both of them are temporary. Both repentance and faith leave us when we quit breathing. Because when our eyes awaken. We'll be like Job. We'll be like what Job says. I know that I shall see my Redeemer with my own eyes. And when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in your resurrected body, no sin involved in your memory, no sin involved in your members, to be holy, stand before him, worship him, love him with a heart like you would like to do now, but you can't because it's so polluted. Faith, you don't need it then. You'll see. See him with your own eyes. Repentance, you won't need it. You won't be sinning. You and I can hardly imagine such a situation. That is more impossible to the human obtaining right now than anything that science fiction can even imagine. For the human being to be holy and without sin, that goes beyond Jurassic Park or anything out in space that there is. We will be perfect and sinless. For when he says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, God has the power to make the person sick and to heal that person because he is the great physician. I want to show you a scripture that kind of has all of that in it. 1 Samuel 2, 6. 1 Samuel 2, 6. Now here's a truth mentioned by a woman. These words are inspired by God's Holy Spirit. They wouldn't be in here. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He maketh low. I guess you could say that's where your sickness comes in. He could make you sick. And he can lift you up from that sickness. He maketh low, he bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill. 
the Lord finds you on the dunghill and he finds you made out of dust. Adam was made of the dust of the earth. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. But sin has polluted this earth and made it a dunghill. You and I walk in the stench of the fashion of this world. It pollutes us no matter what we see, what we hear, or what we touch and feel. Everything in this world is an element of the dunghill. Whether it's education, whether it's music, whether it's sport, anything. Man just makes a god out of anything that there is. That's why our God tells us, come ye out from among them, be ye separate, and I'll be your God. I'll be a father unto you, be my sons and daughters. Christianity isn't just making a decision. It's making a commitment for life. It's more serious than a husband and a wife commitment. Flesh has a tendency to stray. It can. When you make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ to be his forever, he knows you're going to stray. But you come back crying. He says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. We have an advocate. He's called an advocate. He's called an intercessor. He's called our mediator. So many things because we're so unfaithful. But his love upholds us through it all. We have a marvelous God. That's as far as we'll go to verse 17 tonight. We'll start with verse 18, finish the chapter, and go into chapter 3 next Sunday night. May the Lord bless you tonight. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon our study tonight. How wonderful to know that our Lord Jesus Christ loves and saves sinners. And how wonderful it is that thou hast showed us what sinners we are. Oh, how wonderful to be able to come before thee as a lost sinner, asking, begging for mercy, knowing that mercy comes from thee, and that thou wilt in no wise Cast one out that comes to you. That's thy promise. If they come, you'll in no wise cast out. We're living examples. We should have been cast out. But thy word is true. You won't. Bless this people and those that will hear by tape. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.